0: Our first reading from Isaiah chapter 49. Uh, if you grab the Bible out of the foyer, it's on page 726, talking about the Messiah. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendour. But I said, I have laboured to no purpose, I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant To restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Amen.
1: Our second reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 35 and can be found on page um, 1015 of the Visitor's Bibles. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, He was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and a sword will pierce your own soul too.
2: Morning, everyone. We're in uh, Isaiah 49, so you might like to turn back to uh, that chapter. Now, what do you enjoy most about the lead-up to Christmas? Shopping? Oh, on your Vince. Wrapping? <laughs> nah. Preparing food? I love those that do. (laughs) Carols? That's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, Trying to decide which part of the family you'll visit on which day? (laughs) Uh, For me, it's the Christmas lights. And uh, since we've moved into the house that we're currently living in, in uh, North Richmond, I've come to realise how big Christmas lights are in the back streets of North Richmond. And I'm not just talking about O'Day Place, which is where the whole street lights up and it's really spectacular and great. But there are plenty of other houses that light up quite spectacularly. And if if I'm out at night to a meeting or Bible study or something, then I always take detours on the way home so I can go around and check some of them out. Now, occasionally I see something uh, depicting a nativity scene, or that at least has some relevance to the biblical story of the birth of Jesus. Mostly, though, the lights are center if you like. Uh, They look beautiful and fun, but they have little relevance or meaning to Jesus. Well, today we're going to look at a very special light that came into the world. Uh, This light does have meaning and purpose, especially for us who are Gentiles, for this light was the way of salvation for Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, including us here in Karajong this morning. We're continuing our little mini-series looking at what the Old Testament says that helps us to understand the coming of Jesus and what he came to do. And the focus of our attention today, the first seven verses of Isaiah 49. And I think for most of us, when we think about Isaiah at Christmas time, maybe two things come to mind. The the verse in chapter 7, which speaks of the virgin giving birth, or those words in chapter 9 where we're told that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know the one. Well, I suspect Isaiah 49 is less well known to us. It certainly was to me before this week. Uh, So I'm hoping that this morning we'll come to know more about Jesus and what he came to do as Isaiah 49, dare I say, sheds light on the hope that he brings. Now, just a understand Isaiah a little bit, in the first half of Isaiah we read about the judgment God would bring on his people because of their rebellion against him. But from chapter 40 onwards, Isaiah is full of hope for the people in exile because God is faithful to his promises. In sending Israel off into exile, He hasn't forgotten the promises he made to Abraham and David and others along the way. His plan is to restore Israel to what he originally intended for them. And Isaiah introduces us to a person known as the servant of the Lord. We're introduced to him in chapter 42. Here in chapter 49 we find out more about who the servant is and what he will do. The servant is given a name in verse 3, you see it there. You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendour. And so the question we need to answer is well who is Israel? Is it referring to the forefather Jacob? Yeah, you know, his name was changed to Israel as he became the father of the twelve tribes. But it's unlikely that Jacob's somehow going to be reincarnated. Or is it referring to the nation of Israel? Again, it's unlikely for Israel so far has has failed hopelessly to fulfill God's purpose for them. And also, if Jacob was right or the nation of Israel was right, verse 5 wouldn't make a lot of sense. Have a look at verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. If Israel is Jacob, how can he bring Jacob back to himself? And if Israel is national Israel, how can he gather himself to himself? Well, no, this is pointing forward to the emergence of a new Israel, to an Israel who would fulfill God's purpose for them, to an Israel who would bring Jews and Gentiles together again. Now, the identity of this Israel is made clear to us by Simeon, a righteous and devout man, living at the time Jesus was born. Kathy just read that to us from Luke 2. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was told by the Holy Spirit he would see the Lord's Christ before he died. And when Jesus was brought to the temple on for circumcision on the eighth day, Simeon took him in his arms and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He quotes directly from Isaiah 49 Here is the fulfillment. Now, you guys know, for seven months now, I've been looking for a new ministry position for next year. And I have to admit, it's been really quite an emotional roller coaster. There's the high of being asked for an interview. There's the anticipation, well maybe, is this the one? There's the, there's the sort of pondering, what's it going to be like to work that job? What's it going to be like to live in that community? And then there's the low of being told that someone else has been offered the position and that's happened quite a number of times in the last seven months. I imagine when a job offer finally comes to me, the high will be pretty high. Well, that day in the temple, Simeon was pretty stoked to be holding Jesus in his arms. For he could see this was the fulfillment of the promise God made more than 700 years earlier. He wasn't just holding a baby boy. He was holding Israel. He was holding salvation in his arms. So the identity of Israel in Isaiah 49 is Jesus. But what else does Isaiah 49 teach us about Jesus and what he came to do? Well, about Jesus, it teaches us that he was commissioned by God and we see that at the beginning of the chapter. Take a look at verse 1. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. The language here is reminiscent of a prophet. He begins with a summons, listen to me. And the call to listen, you islands, hear me, you distant nations, that's, that's something only God would normally have the authority to say. But here someone different is speaking and he explains that he has this intimate connection with the Lord. The servant Israel was chosen by God before the moment of his conception in Mary's womb. It was God's will for him to be the servant who would display the Lord's splendor. Moreover, his name carried significant meaning of what God's purpose for him was. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel appeared to Joseph to explain why his fiancée was pregnant, the angel said, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, his name teaches us about what he came to do. And again, in Luke 2, we read... On the eighth day, they named him Jesus because the angel told them to. Now, prophets speak God's word and in verse 2, we see the Lord preparing this prophet to speak words that pierce and penetrate. You see, the sharpness of a sword is what makes it effective. A polished arrow is rubbed free from roughness or unevenness that, that might cause the arrow to deviate from its course. This is what Jesus' words were like. You see, aside from his death, central to Jesus' public ministry was his teaching. And through the Gospels we see that his teaching took precedence even over other activities such as healing people. And Jesus was a great teller of the truth. And through his teaching he also exposed the heart and the hypocrisy of man. Yet many people who heard him refused to listen or to obey. It was hidden from them. God would use him to achieve his purpose, but he would be kept for the right time. And so Isaiah 49 teaches us about Jesus, that he is sent from God for the purpose. He will teach people about salvation but but who is this message of the prophet for well have a look at verse 5 again and now the lord says he who formed me in the womb to be his servant to bring jacob back to him and gather israel to himself for i am honored in the eyes of the lord and my god has been my strength who's the message for the message is for jacob and israel Jesus came to bring restoration to his people. This was the purpose for which God sent him. Through him, God will call his people back to himself. Israel had always failed in the past to live up to God's purpose, but now redemption is available because the servant will restore the relationship between God and his people and that's really exciting, especially if you're a Jew. But wait, there's more. And can I say, this is much better than steak knives. But have a look at verse 6. He says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Is see, restoring Israel is only half the job. In, in fact, it's too small a thing for Jesus to do. It's like asking Mozart to play chopsticks at a recital. It doesn't make sense. There's, there's so much more he can do. God says, if I'm going to, to go to all the effort to send you to restore Israel, then while you're there, bring the Gentiles too. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, there is an order here, Jews first, then the Gentiles, but it's for both. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. The gospel of Jesus is the power of God for salvation, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, Paul writes in Romans. He also writes, there's no difference though between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is for everyone. He restores Israel and he brings salvation to the ends of the earth. Who is this message of the prophet for it's for everyone both Jews and Gentiles it's for us this then begs the question how then will Jesus be received well initially there's disappointment when God sends his servant Jesus himself says so in verse 4 have a look he says but I said I have laboured to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. And Jesus' ministry was hard work. People were always very critical of him, do you notice? Their hearts were hardened to him and his teaching. So much so that in Matthew 11, Jesus rebukes the cities in which he'd done great work. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the Day of Judgment than for you. They're strong words. And worse was to come. They ended up killing Jesus on a blasphemy charge accusing him of claiming to be the Son of God. As you think about that, you think about the question, how is Jesus and his ministry received? Not very well. However, Jesus is content to let God determine the value of his ministry. We see that in the second half of Isaiah 49, verse 4. Jesus says, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. Jesus knows that God's judgment is right. His rewards are fair. Jesus can trust him. And what is God's verdict? We see it in verse 7. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, To the servant of rulers kings will see you and rise up princes will see and bow down because of the lord who is faithful the holy one of israel who has chosen you the kings and rulers will bow down god will vindicate what looked at first to be a disappointing work. Indeed, we see a great reversal, don't we? The servant may indeed have a season of being rejected and and of having to be a servant to kings instead of the Lord. But things will change. Authorities and powers will get up in order to bow down to the one specifically chosen by God. In other words, God reverses the verdict of the people. And we know God has raised Jesus to life again and he has exalted him to his right hand in heaven. A day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him Lord of all. And through the rest of Isaiah 49, we see more pictures of this transformation. The servant's not the only one whose circumstances change. Landless captives will get to go home. Hungry and thirsty ones will find pasture and water. Displaced ones will come home. For the Lord comforts his people and he has compassion on the afflicted. How will Jesus be received? Well, he will be rejected by the nation. But honoured by the Lord The final question for us then to ask this morning is, how do we respond to God's servant? God's servant has brought Jacob back to God. He's gathering Israel to himself. He's a light to the Gentile as salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. He was despised and abhorred by the nations, but he's honoured in the eyes of the Lord. How do we respond to God's servant? Well, firstly, we need to trust him. Uh, In John chapter 8, Jesus says about himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus brings life. And he enables us to have fellowship with the Father. Light also eliminates darkness. They can't coexist. It's, It's always light or dark. It's never both. Jesus eliminates darkness from our world. He has defeated the prince of darkness. He brings salvation. And by following him, we too have life. Do you trust God's servant? Can you see how God has provided the way for us to come back to him through faith in the Lord Jesus? How do we respond to God's servant? Well, to treat him as the nations treated him would be a grave mistake, for it leaves us in the position of being opposed to God. We need to honour him as the Lord honours him. We need to trust him. How do we respond to God's servant? Firstly, we trust him. Secondly, We need to shine his light in the world so people turn to him in faith for salvation from their sins. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says about his disciples, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You see, those of us who trust Jesus have a role to play in shining the light to the Gentiles. For through the words we say that speak the truth about Jesus and through the way we live in a way that honours him, we shine light before men that they may see us and come to know the one who we live for. God honored Jesus by obeying. Sorry, God honored Jesus by reversing the verdict of the nations who killed him. We honor Jesus by obeying His call to make disciples. For that's how Jesus's light shines. That's how salvation reaches to the ends of the earth. How do we respond to God's servant? Well, if we trust Him for salvation then our role is to help others come to trust him too by shining his light before men. So Isaiah 49 introduces us to God's servant, the one who will gather Israel to himself and also be the light to the Gentiles that they may be saved. He is the one who was despised and abhorred to the point of death, but he is the one whom God honours by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand. Jesus is the light of the world. And by following him, we move out of darkness and into the light of life. And so at Christmas time, we have a wonderful opportunity, don't we? To hold the light of life out to others, that they too might come to him to be saved. How about we commit ourselves to God in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the light of the world. We thank you that he is the one who came to restore Israel, who gathers Israel back to himself. But we thank you that he is also the light of who brings salvation to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. And Father, we thank you for the significance of that for us here in Karajong today. Father, we pray that we would follow him and have the light of life. And Father, we pray that you would help us to shine his light before others so that others too might come to him to be saved. We ask in his name. Amen.